you're allowed to slow down and enjoy the art that you're producing and enjoy the process and accept the fact that good work can come out of imperfection. Hi everyone, today's interview is with Logan Floyd. Logan and I met at an improv class through the Squirrel Theater here in New York City. Logan trained in musical theater at Texas State University and most recently performed the lead role of Velma Kelly in the national tour of the musical Chicago. Please note that my internet connection was a little bit unstable when we recorded this conversation. So sometimes when it's switching, when Zoom is switching back and forth between myself and Logan, there's a little bit of a tinny quality to the audio. Logan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Ben. I'm so happy to be here. So senior year of high school, what music were you listening to? Senior year of high school, I was listening to Paramore and Paramore only. Mm. Tell me, who's Paramore? Paramore is a band. Haley Williams is the lead singer. A very punk rock. Just a huge fan. I actually got into her pretty late in the game. And once my one of my best friends showed me her, I was obsessed. And I also, I like, I had a car. I lived like in the suburbia. So I was just driving to school every single day. And it was just high school. I hated high school so much. And so I felt that each song was specifically written for me and the angst that I was going through. What did you hate about high school? I changed high schools for my final two years, which I think is a tough time to join a high school scene. Everybody's already in their groups and they've been in their groups for a while. It was a public school, so everybody had grown up together. Um, and I didn't know anyone. I did not live nearby. I was there for theater. So already I just had a lot of things against me and I'm not exactly an extrovert. So I was just kind of, you know, eating meals in the bathroom, just a lot of material for an A24 film. A lot of good material there. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of theater, you studied musical theater at Texas State, legendary program, <laughs> and you studied under a legendary teacher, Caitlin Hopkins. Yeah. What made her such a great teacher? When I was 16, I met Caitlin Hopkins um, and her partner, Jim Price, at this program. I just fell in love with her perspective of the arts and her willingness to listen and adjust to the artists that she has in front of her. I think it's a very special quality about her. Everything that she spoke about her program every year, I was just like, that, that's for me. I meant to go there. And when I told my parents I wanted to go to school in Texas, they laughed at me. <laughs> um, and it's it's definitely was against my nature to like go to Texas. But I just knew that this was the program for me every time Caitlin spoke about it. And I it was my top choice. And I got accepted at like literally the last minute. And I had never been to Kansas. I had never been there in person. I had only met Caitlin and Jim. And I was like, yep, signed, sealed, delivered. I'm going there. This is for me. And I was there for four years and graduated. And Caitlin is still a huge, huge supporter. What's a note that she gave you that you still remember? I think it was probably my junior or senior year that I was in her office. I was in her office a lot. And she looked at me and she was like, you know, not everything you do has to be perfect. And I think coming from anyone else, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, bye. Um, but coming from her, for, from someone who I think is so strong and has such a high expectation 
for herself and others. I think it was really a moment of like, you're allowed to slow down and enjoy the art that you're producing and enjoy the process and accept the fact that good work can come out of imperfection. And I didn't think that I really realized that until she kind of looked, looked at me in that moment. That uh, wasn't a great moment and was just like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect to be good work. So funny you mentioned that. So for the listeners, you and I met in an improv class through the Squirrel Theater here in New York City. And it was a great class just all around. It was actually the highlight of my week each week, just going to class mm -hmm. and, and creating and playing. And one of the things I felt through that process was the imperfection that happens in any improv scene that's where I found myself wanting to go. And I, and that's mm. where I found myself like wanting to explore. So if someone misspoke and you, you know, maybe your character's name, your character's name is Logan and they, somebody calls you a different name because they forgot in the moment what your name is, then I find myself, that's where I want to go. Okay. So why are you calling Logan a different name? Um, what does that mean about your relationship within the scene? So the imperfection is, is almost where where the gold is. Especially in an improv class, the imperfections and the mess ups are <laughs> the funniest parts of the scene. And I thought it was such a great way that we were, a lot of times we were split up as a class, half and half so that we could observe and learn. And I think it was like, I learned so much from watching everyone else. And I learned audience member, it is the best part when someone quote unquote messes up or it's imperfect or it's not smooth, like it's extremely awkward and cringy that it was just like, that's delicious. I really want to watch that. Um, so I totally agree that those are the best parts. So let's, I want to talk more improv in a second, but let's first talk character and mm -hmm. you're a trained actor and performed the lead role, Velma Kelly in the national tour of Chicago. And you, you said a word earlier, that's one of my favorite words, which is process. So what's your process for inhabiting a character? I think that my process starts um, a pretty tried and true way. My background. Um, it's definitely, you know, like memorizing the songs and going over that and taking them to lessons and making sure that they're in my voice and strong. Um, I find that if I doubt anything while I'm doing it, either in a rehearsal room or on stage, it really affects character work. It takes me immediately out of, out of the character. Um, so I want to get those things strong first. And then I, I would say that next is, is the rehearsal and, and starting to trust my the rest of the cast and starting to trust my creative team and, and learning what direction they want to want me to go in. Um, there was a really magical moment with my director, Tanya, um, who I think is very brilliant. Um, she's directed many, many, many productions of Chicago, but um, there was a, a moment in rehearsals that she kind of pulled me out and something about me is that I have a ring on every, almost every single finger of my of my hands um I wear them every day and I never take them off um unless I'm doing pottery or something and I I didn't think about taking them off during rehearsal I didn't even notice them and she pulled me aside and was like what do you think of taking off your rings and I was like oh sure no problem I'm sure they're distracting sorry about that like I, I should have known that I it's yeah, yeah I'll totally take them off and she's like yeah because you know I don't 
I don't think Velma had all those rings and, you know, she's in prison. So she hundred percent did it. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Not a big deal. Totally easy. And so I took him off and she asked me to rehearse for the rest of the day. And at the end of the day, I came up to her and I was almost about to cry because I didn't realize that something that we wear or something that we do with ourselves every day that becomes a habit can really become a very important part of us. And I took off these rings and now I was a different person and I felt unsettled and I felt unsafe and like my hands felt different. I didn't know. I mean, it sounds kind of wooey now that I'm saying it out loud, but it was one of the moments that I can, I can really pinpoint of finding Velma and I felt different and I felt scared, but I had to keep pushing through it. And I had to make my way out of this situation, which I think is very important for Velma. She's scared to death, but if she shows that it's the end of her. So she does everything that she can to not show it. She dresses up, she wears bright red lipstick. Her hair is jet black. Everything that she can do to be sparkly and shiny and new and sexy and distracting, she can not just for everyone around her, but for herself. Because if she doesn't distract herself, she's dead in the water. So it's constant movement, it's constant distraction. It's a dormant of her body of everything she can do. I mean, she's pulling every single trick out of her hat, but not just for one instance. It's every single day, morning to night, because she's trying to get out of the situation that, that she's found herself in. So I think that when Tanya and I couldn't rely on Logan. I had to find Velma. I think that was a moment that I, I really remember being like, oh, let the games begin. I love it. So the insight was she's using all these external things to distract from her fear. I mean, that was my, my interpretation. I think mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's a lot of Velmas. I mean, the show is, is monumental, legendary. So, um, I mean, there's a lot of different different ways it can be interpreted but that's kind of that's how I interpreted it as because I think that in life we find that a lot I think the people that I meet that put on the biggest show when I strip it away I'm like ah that's why and that's why you put that on I don't think it's ever really empty and it's interesting you mentioned your rings in your joy because that in improv class that was one of the first things I noticed about you just when we're all introducing each other and then one of the other things I first noticed about you in scenes is your physicality is so great. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're doing so many different characters and you're giving each character a different physical um, characteristic or way of interacting with, with the universe. And that's something that, that I need to work on is, is the physicality side of it. So how do you think about physicality in a character? I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't think I think about it at all. I think I, I think I come to a lot of characters from the inside out, but I think I come alive most when I can find their spirit of playfulness. And I think that that spirit of playfulness connects with my younger self. And I think as soon as that happens, I know, I know I'm in the game. And I am playing and I'm alive and I'm totally focused in it. And when I found Velma's playfulness, I loved her even more. That I was like, wait, wait, wait. Velma is hilarious. She is so funny, even if she's the only person clued into her own joke. That 
the more I found that and the more the creative team was like, dig into that, dig into that. You are a playful, you are a funny Velma. Um, that that can be part of her mask and distraction and, and her way of avoiding things. And I think that that part of her was the closest to myself of using humor and, and the big show to distract everybody else and to distract herself and keep it going. That I think in improv, it's funny that I found myself doing the same, that if I just threw myself into it and was just like, go do it. That's when I got feedback like yours of like, you're so physical and you're very big with your movements. And my favorite part of improv I realized was when I picked characters that can be really playful and silly and goofy, like children. I didn't realize I want to play children all the time when I do a golf class, because I think that that myself, that younger part of Logan, that is so playful and silly and goofy and doesn't have rules yet, um, I think is the is so funny and hilarious and that's where the physicality comes from yeah so funny and so fun right I mean that for me that was one of the best things about one is one of the best things about doing improv is just mainlining that playfulness and, and it, it and that comes across with you as well when I when I think of you in improv it's the the physicality with your characters and being completely playful in a in a great way yeah, I think it, all, it also helps me overcome the doubt or the insecurity that might be in my head. I think now that you're asking me about it, is that when I am smaller and not physical, it's almost like I give myself more room to doubt in the moment. But when I jump and really commit, and the more physical I am, the less room I have to think about it or worry about it. Being like, I'm, uh, I'm acting like a third grader and I don't have the capacity to think like, this is weird. Or like, I'm acting like an imprisoned show vaudeville woman. Like, I don't have time to think this is, is this right? Is this weird? And the more physicality I added, the more it became my character. So the question wasn't, is this right? The question was, would my character whom I built with the support of my with the, with the material and the creative team and the cast do this. So it wasn't a question of right or wrong, which I think is what really trips up my doubt and my self-consciousness. It was a question of would I do this? Yes or no. I love it. So changing from is this right or is this wrong to would my character do this in this moment? We talked about flow state earlier. What are the things that get you into flow state? It's hard to remember. I do remember during the the rehearsal process of Chicago a million years ago, that it was a challenge to shut off the part of me that kept asking, does this look good? Is this right? Will they like this? So much to the point that I had to find some, like, I guess you would say mottos and find some things that would help me stay in the moment and stay in the room. Um, we had a lot of invited dress rehearsals. At one point, Amber Faye, who was Velma Kelly right before the pandemic for years and years and years um, on Broadway, came into the rehearsal room into a final dress and she watched the entire show and she was sitting a foot and a half away from me. And that was a very difficult process, mostly because I don't usually get starstruck, but I was starstruck um, was very intimidated, was very scared. And I think that one thing that I found was 
<laughs> it sounds weird saying out loud, but I had to repeat to myself, not helpful, not helpful right now, because there were things that would go on in my head that I'm thinking as Logan, that I had to realize that's not helpful. That's not going to help me get through this show. That's not going to help me get through this run. That's not going to help me do my cartwheel into a splits for this number right now. So I can deal with you later when rehearsal's over, but right now, not helpful. And it kind of had to be that harsh in that, in that rehearsal room, in that process. Um, I don't know what it will be like in the future, but for that one, I, I really did have to say like, ah, ah pause, we'll, we'll do without later. I can't, I can't do it right now. Um, and then that helped me really get into find my way. And the more I did it, the easier it got. So moving from a stage show to improv, for improv, when you enter a scene, what's the first thing you're thinking about? I think the first thing that I'm thinking about, at least when we were in class, was how can I be helpful in this scene, in this moment, um, for whatever was created. Um, I, I didn't start a lot of scenes. I mean, it was only Improv 101, so something to work on. But I think a lot of times it was my thought process was how can I be helpful? How can I add to this scene? And I think that that's when I felt the most playful and at least the most comfortable. Because it felt like when someone jumps off of the back line and begins, it feels like such a gift when someone has like a spark of an idea that I just want to like fan that flame. And sometimes the best way that I felt like I could fan that flame was just staying in the back and like waiting until I had a spark that could help. And then when I do, it's, I mean, you know, I'm sure you know this feeling when you have a spark that you're like, this would fit perfectly and you add it and you go in there and you jump in and that other person either sees you or dodges you in a really creative way. Like whatever happens, it's like, oh my gosh, I contributed and it's fun. Like maybe it worked and maybe it didn't, but it was really fun. And to me, that's the, the, that's exactly my mindset as well is how can I support? Right. And Great improv scenes often come about, I think, when everybody's just trying to support, when when all both people, three people, four people are just, everybody's thinking, okay, I'm the supporting player in this scene. Mm -hmm. That's really where I think it, it gets so fun. And it's so, it's so much easier, right? Because I think a lot of times people starting out with improv, they think they need to carry the scene or direct the scene. But if you're just supporting, if that's your mindset, it becomes so much easier because now you're just bouncing off what the other person's doing. Yeah, I I will say I, I felt the most challenged when our teacher Sarah Grace was like would would encourage the people who don't start scenes to start scenes because it did feel like kind of a responsibility of like I have this idea, this infant of idea. Would someone help me raise this infant of an idea for the next twenty minutes? I hope so. But it is such a payoff because I felt like we created a small little troop of, okay, these people will show up for me. And it's not going to be in the way that I envisioned because I'm not them. I can only do my part in this little scene and they will support me and it'll be fun. And I think that's when a lot of our really bonkers scenes happened where like everyone was in them and had a supporting role that I think that we had the most fun because it did truly revolve around this one person or these two people that everybody else kind of like came out and helped support that fun, silly idea. Exactly. What do you remember from class? I remember, I remember I really enjoyed the way 
that our teacher explained some of the things that I felt were inaccessible about improv before that kept me kind of like nervous about taking improv, about continuing improv of like a lot of terminology um, that I was like, I need to learn in order to do this. Like I have to, I have to be completely understanding of these terms in order to be good. Um, and then she was like, okay, so the game is just like peekaboo baby. And I was like, oh, <laughs> great. That I felt like she really stripped away a lot of the things that are intimidating about it and kind of scary that like, I don't know how to play the game and I don't know what long form is that she just really truly threw us into it and was like, I know I'm throwing you into this and that's the only way you can learn. And then at the end of class, she was like, and you did two long form improvs. Great. And it's like, oh, okay. We did. But I think like yeah. full circle, it doesn't have to be perfect to be good work. And it certainly doesn't have to be perfect to be fun. Yeah. It was very little theory and mm -hmm. very much we're doing this exercise, this exercise, this exercise. And as the weeks went on, it's, as you said, we just built up to doing full 20 minute um, productions, which was wonderful. Yeah. Definitely. It was a lot like it, it reminded me of like when I first learned to play violin of when I was little that the teacher would like make you do these like one line exercises and you were like, why am I doing this? This is this is not I don't recognize this song, whatever. And then at the end of the week, you would do this song and she's like, oh, you just did a full song. You're like, oh, that's how learning happens. Great, awesome, cool. But when you're an adult and the older you get and the more new things that you try, like improv was new for me, the scarier it gets. And the more you're like, I can't do this. There's no way I could play a full song right now. I've only just picked up the violin. That at the end of like week two or three, she was like, and that's improv. Mm -hmm, exactly. And I told Sarah Grace this once that when, when a class seem so effortless like that in terms of what we're doing and what she's communicating it means a lot of effort went in on her side to make it seem so effortless so it's really mm -hmm. a, a testament to sarah grace to to give her her props oh absolutely i felt like her energy every week coming into that i mean it was a pretty late mm -hmm. class on a weekday that mm -hmm. every week i was like there's no way i can get through this class that she just really showed up for us every single week and i think a lot of times like sparked the energy, started the energy that she wanted us to use to go into it. Yeah, and also just shout out to our classmates. It was it was such a great environment and everybody was so supportive and, and yeah. so much fun. So yeah. good people. All right, well, let's, let's do a little improv, a little Zoom improv. Oh my gosh. Just to prime the pump a little bit, let's think about, so this episode will probably come out first or second week of January. So New Year's Eve, what are, what are some memorable What's a memorable New Year's Eve that you have? <laughs> I don't have a lot. I'm scared of New Year's Eve. I have a New Year's Eve fear. <laughs> That's so funny because I'm, I'm the type of person, I am the person that on New Year's Eve, most of the time I'm asleep by the time it hits. Like yeah. I stay in my apartment. Uh -huh. I don't go out. I don't go to parties. No. Um, and uh, half the time I'm asleep by the time New Year's hits. I am definitely an early to bed, early to rise person. So I don't. I don't, I don't know the last time I've celebrated New Year's Eve or been able to stay up for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What time do you usually go to bed? A 10 or earlier. There is a joke in my family and amongst my friends that I am an 80 year old man 
inside. Um, I don't know if it's so much a joke as it is the truth. I've been told I'm an old soul since I was a child. I just didn't know really what that meant. Um, and it, it sounds more, uh, it sounds cooler and more mysterious when you say old soul rather than like, I am an eight-year-old man inside. Eight-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> Logan, thanks for coming in to Bodycore. And as I'm sure you know, this is a company where we match someone's physical appearance with their internal age. Oh yeah, I'm really very excited to be here. I mean, it took me a, quite a long time to get an appointment. You guys have a really long waiting list. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's become very popular. Um, there's a phrase, old soul, that has, has kind of made its way back into the vernacular. And I think people, something with that phrase, people decided, you know what, I'm tired of living as my, my biological age. Yeah, I, I mean, it was really confusing. I mean, like as a, as a six-year-old kid, when someone adult like looks at you and you're like, you're an old soul and you're kind of like, mm -hmm. thanks, I think that's cool. Um, but I didn't really want to be cool. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to look like how I felt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and I mean, for me, it was transformative. I mean, you know, I know I, I present as a, as a 46-year-old man, but I'm actually uh, a nine-year-old. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really just what I've em envisioned for myself that I don't really want to look like a 24 year old human being. I just, mm -hmm. I want to look like the 83 year old that I feel. Uh, and actually the new add-on we have, you know, the boss is always trying to get me to upsell this. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Oh, please. Um, but it doesn't even have to be a human being. I mean, if you feel that, that, yeah. Oh my gosh, you guys don't advertise it online at all. No, no, it's a new product we're just offering. Wow. Select only. Is it, is it any animal or is it just the top, the top three lion, tigers, bears? Well, you're right. It's, it's, those are the top three. Those are by far the most popular. We've had several requests for dolphins, but wow. I think, uh, you know, I've been messing around with, with Steve in the back and we could probably try to tailor any any animal you wanted. I, you know, the first one that came to mind was a gopher. But I'm I'm uh, wondering if you can speak to to the life expectancy of a gopher. I know that it is less than 83 years old. So just curious uh -huh. what your technology provides there. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're all good. Like we could do right. an 83 year old gopher. I'm also wondering. I mean. <laughs> I, it's a bit of a crazy question, so you know, uh -huh. don't throw me out for this. But I, I, if we can do it, there's, no. there's, there's no crazy way. There's We're no turning crazy. people into into gophers. There's no crazy Great. questions here. Great, thanks, thank you. <laughs> I, I just, is there a way we could like combine animals? Like I'm just thinking of like a liger, oh, like a lion tiger. <laughs> a lion tiger. Yes. Yeah. Steve. Steve. Lion tiger. Yeah. He's he's giving a thumbs up. I mean, it's Friday. What the oh, fuck? that's incredible. Oh, what a gift. I mean, and on New Year's Eve, you guys fit me in to the last minute appointment. It's incredible. For a yeah, Liger, 83-year-old no. Liger. Exactly. I mean, and you know, it's it's 1130, New Year's Eve. I feel like this would be the, the, the right way to set 2022 off. Oh, I am ready. I don't, I actually don't think Ligers have to wear masks either. So I, it almost, it just feels like I'm really lucking out. <laughs> Okay, so let me go down the checklist here. Um, we're doing a lion, tiger, 
hybrid. Yes. Is yes. that right? Yes. Okay. And and um, what's the age? Eighty-three. Okay, eighty-three. Um, any other accoutrement you want with um, with this with this new character, the new you? Um, I do want to make sure I have opposable thumbs. Okay. They are important for I, texting yeah. and so forth. But I would like time. hooves on my feet. Okay, with hooves. Yeah. Okay. All right, let me just tally this up. Okay, so we're looking at, it's going to be around about 12,000, but we can do kind of four installments if that works, uh, if that's better yeah. for you. Sweet. Cheaper than having cheaper than having a kid. Why not, you know? <laughs> this is the first time we've done a, a liger. Um, Sweet. I love being the guinea pig to things. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, I think you said it, it takes a little while for you to get ready. Um, yeah. Here's, here's everything you need. And uh, like an at-home uh, kit. Perfect. Right, right. And um, when you're ready, uh, I think you can just, uh, just let me know and, and we'll, we'll hit go. This is incredible. Wow, I've never been up so late, but this is exciting. Let's <laughs> see. <Fancy. laughs> <laughs> I think love Sarah Grape would have been proud of that. Right. Oh, I love where it went. Okay, let's try. We got time for one more, one more short one. Is there a type of improv that you found you were more drawn to? Actually, have you ever done musical improv? Mm -mm. I saw I saw a musical show in Cape Town where it was an improv troupe that they'd been together for ten years, wow. and they were all musicians, and they did. A show, an hour-long show where they take a one-word suggestion. From that one word, they create a musical group, and you're watching the VH1 behind the scenes of how they met, became the, a big band, broke up, got back together, and they're creating songs for each of those periods on the fly. See, that's <laughs> I. I hear those stories, and I'm like, yeah. I really learned to play an instrument. And I really want to be able to play an instrument so proficiently that I could do that. I just don't want to learn to play an instrument. And I was never good at practicing. So it's just, it's so unfortunate because it's like the dreams don't match the motivation. Okay. Logan, thank you for coming in. Been a pleasure working with, with your child with, with their violin lessons. And, yeah, and I, I, I wanted to start them early. I felt like that was the most important for us to just 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 start early. Um, I never learned to play an instrument. It made me really, really sad. And I just didn't want young Harper to have sadness in, in, in their heart. No, and, and I think music is, creativity is a great way to bring joy to not only the person who's performing, but, but obviously to the world, for sure. Yeah, I was very surprised to find um, such a great creative outlet here in this because you know the front just says axe throwing um and so I was here for my lesson and then when I saw that like the back room um had like the rainbow stickers and like the alicorn which I know is a different than a unicorn now I've learned mm -hmm. that um mm -hmm. I just you know I got a knock on that door and I knocked on that door and your friendly face just opened that right up so I get to do my axe throwing and Harper can play her her violin yeah and, and Harper is a natural at both and kind of the, I don't know, the, the, the brick wall we're kind of running up against is she wants to throw her violin. Yeah. I, I guess I would 
say I can see where that comes from. Yeah, yeah. She gets it from me. Um, I've never thrown a violin. And, and, but and I, don't get me wrong. She is great at throwing this violin. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but I guess it is difficult on the on the financial side to keep buying a violin. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, it does hurt every time. <laughs> so what I what I kind of wanted to offer was what if we ordered a special rubberized violin from Amazon? You know, I just love Amazon. Mm -hmm. I bought all my axes from Amazon. Oh, wow. Wait, how, 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 how many axes do you have? Um, let's see now. I started with five in my, mm -hmm. in my first kit. Mm -hmm. um, me, was that, like that, that was first. same with me. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, three with five. Um, but then I wanted, um, I wanted something that was more like Thor vibes. So um, then I found a whole Thor theme on Amazon. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. So I found those. So now I would say I have about thirty-four. I think I have thirty-four. I love it. See, I'm only at twenty. Have you seen the EX? No, no. Oh, it's this new thing. It's this new thing. You know, those uh, city bike has these e-bikes and now you can rent. I don't know if you can buy it yet, but you can rent an e-ax and you just carry that with you while you're city biking downtown, uptown to Brooklyn, wherever you want to go. Oh, so you can just get everything done at once. That is so mm -hmm. efficient. Mm -hmm. I love that city mm -hmm. has everything. Axes, mm -hmm. daycare, axes, bikes. What else can we put axes on? I mean, put axes on everything. It actually came in really handy the other day. I was crossing the bridge over to Brooklyn. And um, I don't know what is some kind of animal. It, it kind of looked like a lion. Kind of looked like a tiger. And uh, uh, I, I use it to defend myself. You know, I think I've watched a documentary about this mm -hmm. on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And oh God, what is that? It's like a combination of two animals. You combine the names. If it's a lion or a tiger, I think it would like a like a liger. I think it would. Oh my God! Face with a liger. The, remember that story about that person who, I don't know what the company was, but they changed they changed the person into a lion, an eighty three year old lion tiger hybrid. I saw that it was like in a little strip mall in Kentucky yep. and I saw yep. that in New York times. I did. Yep. I said, who would want, but I, there was a part of me that kind of understood that. Kinda yeah. Understood yeah. That. Red state, you know, flyover country. They do weird stuff. Hey, I mean, I would want to escape into a liger as well. Let's see. Thank you so much, Logan. Ben, it was great to see you. That was my interview with Logan Floyd. Please sign up for my weekly newsletter at benbo.substack.com. That's benbo, B-E-N-B-O, .substack.com. And be notified each week when I post a new interview. Thank you and have a great day.